before we begin uh, today's sermon uh, as a way of maybe drawing us in to it. I'm going to make a request. (coughs) First of all, forgive me for choking. (coughs) Secondly, I'd like to ask you for a spirit of humility. I don't know if that's a big thing to ask or not. We're going to be touching on a topic today that uh, should humble each and every one of us, and I am very aware that I am not capable of presenting this particular passage in a way that will change your life. It is not in me to effect change. It is not in me to effect conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is God's work and God's timing. As we look at this particular text of Scripture today, I'm asking for a heartbeat of humility. Would you please join me in prayer as we, as we go before the throne of grace, recognizing it is a throne, and recognizing that the God who dwells on that throne is full of grace and love and mercy that is available to you and to me at every waking moment. Let's pray. Father, I pray for a spirit of humility in each and every one of us. I pray, Father, that we would have a a mind towards repentance. I pray that as we look into this amazing truth that you are the God who is love. Father, we pray that where we seek to find love, we would determine, we would search our hearts to know, are we looking for you or are we looking for something else? Father, I pray for each and every one of us to be overwhelmed by your love this morning. I do not find it within me to persuade anyone to the depth that your love should move us. So, Father, <clears throat> Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives and that you be glorified in the response of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Hopefully this will <clears throat> go away uh, very soon. All right. As, uh, as we start today's uh, sermon, I want you to I just kind of gaze at that picture while I say a few words. All right, it's, some of you are probably familiar with it. It's, it's a very famous uh, sculpture. And, and why, why I'm bringing this up here today is for the idea of, uh, to enable you to understand my predicament. My predicament is that God has is, is established this idea of his love. And John has been putting it on display in, our, in, in, in 1 John as well as in the Gospel of John. That's why John is known as the Apostle of Love. It's not just because Jesus loved him. It's that he can't seem to get away from the topic. So in a sense, God is putting through John this, this, uh, this sculpture of love, this, this artwork of love, and he's putting it on display. And, and I'm supposed to explain to you what it means. I'm supposed to somehow unveil to you uh, this love in a way that would bring you to the point of awe. If we consider great works of art, it is often 
it is often the habit of some to, to stand in front of that piece of art and, 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 and stand in front of it and, and study it and then move over and study it from a different perspective. And maybe, maybe if it's a, hanging on a wall, you'd sit down and, and look up at it. Or if it's a sculpture, you, you'd sit there and you, ju- you would just look at the, the different lighting, the different nuances that that artwork is portraying when you look at it from different ways. I can't explain to you this statue other than it is Mary holding the body of her son. It portrays Mary holding the body of her son after he was crucified on the cross. This particular uh, statue is one my mother was enthralled with. I'm pretty sure I saw that up close when I was a kid, uh, when we lived in Europe. I don't think it would have had the impact upon me then as it does today. When we think about love, John has already introduced us to some aspects of it in his word. He's, he's told us that basically, how do you know that you're a child of God, right? Uh, he says, listen, you obey. We talked about to abide is to obey. What are you obeying? You're obeying the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor, Right? We know that that's part of what John is trying to get us to understand. And then he goes a little deeper and he looks at it from a different perspective. And he says, he's like, listen, don't only love in, in, in uh, word, love in action. Be active in your love. Don't, don't just treat love as some uh, scholastic in, endeavor. Make it a part of your life. Live it out to the glory of God. And then he hits this topic of love a third time. That's what we're going to look at today in verses 7 through 11. We're going to, we're going to hit on it, and, and, and John's going to bring our attention into a different, we're going to stand looking at love from a different perspective. What John says about love is not all that he could say. But what he does say is sublime. What John says about love is not all that he can say, but it, what he says is sublime. And I, this word sublime is not a word that we often use. I, I know I don't use it very often. I was actually introduced to it by, uh, mo- most recently, a few years ago, by a, a professor who wrote his dissertation. And, and somewhere in that title, the dissertation, was the word sublime. He was dealing with this I- idea of sublime. What, what does sublime mean? John is talking about love, and and he's not saying everything about it, but what he is saying about it is sublime. So another way of saying this is what John says about God's love is of such excellence, of such grandeur, of such beauty, it inspires great admiration and awe. That's the predicament I'm in. As a preacher of God's Word, we're going to look at this this text of Scripture. And I'm telling you right now, it's not in me to evoke the excellence, grandeur, and beauty of love to inspire you to admiration and awe. This is something you have to be involved in yourself. And the only way we're going to do that is if we have the spirit of humility and a spirit of repentance. As we come to this text, I'm asking each and every one of you who claims Christ as Lord and Savior, remember your sin. Remember how it was before you came to Christ and you didn't even know it was a problem. 
Now, some of you are so young when you got saved, you know, it, you're not going to necessarily remember that. But there's a good portion of us in the room that remember as adults what our sin looked like and how we practiced it and how we didn't care what God felt. We didn't care what God thought. It wasn't part of our filter. It was just what we did. I'm asking you to remember that, not from the sake of glorying in it. For heaven's sake, no. Don't glory in your sin. Glory in the forgiveness of your sin. Your sin was such an affront to God. It was, it was, uh, it was so devastating. It was, it, it was just wickedness. Even the slightest sin, because God is a holy God and we're dealing with holiness, we're dealing with perfection. And I'm telling you right now, there was a point in time, if you call yourself a Christian, there should have been a point in time where you recognized that your sin was a problem and that God lovingly provided a solution for that problem in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, to remember when that took place. When did you come to an understanding of God's love, mercy, grace, in your life. Because I can't duplicate that for you. I can only speak of of what God has done in my heart. And I have been changed from the inside out. You know my testimony. I've shared it enough times. I'll share it plenty more, just not today. I'm asking you to remember your your experience of understanding what what the love of God meant for you. John is saying that God's love is of such excellence, grandeur, and beauty. It inspires great admiration and awe. And yet, I think we are often guilty of of, of, uh, allowing it to just be ho-hum. Familiarity breeds contempt. And if there's one thing as Christians that we engage in on a regular basis, it's the idea that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came into the world to redeem sinners. And that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can quote those verses. I can quote other verses. You can do it. But folks, listen, if we're just quoting them and we're not living them, then something is wrong. And so, although I have the predicament, so do you. As we look at this few verses of Scripture this morning, as I'm, I frequently say, would you find yourself in it, Christians? Would you find yourself in the text and saying, does God's love as displayed through the, the Gospel of John, through the writings of John and the epistles, is, is it doing something to me today? The big idea that we're going to look at today is really Uh, the the point of verse 7 and 11. The book ends of the passage we're going to look at, and it's this. To know God's love demands that we show God's love. And this is, doesn't get much simpler than this in the sense of a statement. To know God's love. If you count yourself as a Christian today, then you're saying, I know God's love. I know what it means. I know how how it's been given. I know how it is received. And in a sense, I know how it's supposed to go forth into other people's lives. But he's saying here, John is saying, to know God's love, Christians, demands. There are, there's a command in verse 7 and a command in verse 11, although it doesn't read necessarily that way in English. It's saying that we ought to do something. We must do something. It demands that we show God's love. 
Well, how, how do we do that? How do you show God's love, right? Well, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're going to look at these few verses, 1 John 4, 7 through 11, and we're going to look at the bookends, and we're going to consider the reality of what John's trying. He's not, he's not hiding what he's saying. I'll be honest with you. As you look at chapter uh, 4, really 7 through 21, even by, chapter, in the beginning of verse five, uh, chapter 5, if there's so much in there. John's kind of, he's hitting it from all these different angles, it can get confusing, so we're just going to take it in smaller chunks. But notice in verse uh, 7 of chapter 4, he said, Beloved, love. It's a command. It's the, the, the word agape, it's at the root form of it. It's somehow, it, like, I think it's used like 30 times in chapter 4. He is, he is mesmerized by this idea of God's love. He said, Beloved, love. Verse 11, Beloved, love. And he's not just repeating himself to, to just nail home a point. He's saying, listen, we've looked at it from the standpoint of God's love command. We've looked at it in the sense that you need to be actively living out your love. But he's saying, no, the, there, the love is so much deeper. He's saying the ones who are beloved, this isn't just John. I don't think this is John just saying that these people were beloved to him as you are beloved to me. I don't think he's just talking about, hey, hey, you beloved ones love. I think he's saying the ones who are beloved, the ones who are, who know the truth of the gospel and have, have been changed by it. You people love. So I think I've done a pretty good job up to this point of, of calling all the Christians to account. You know what lays before you. Whatever is said in here, you must do. You must believe, you must do. But what about unbelievers? What does this whole love of God mean for them? Well, in a sense, that's what we're going to kind of talk about. I've already pointed that out. Do you know the love of God? Well, as a Christian, we're going to say yes. But what about an unbeliever? Is an unbeliever does an unbeliever know the love of God? And I know we're not to the text yet officially, right, going through it. But I will say this. Let, do you remember when you were an unbeliever? Did you, did you know what love was back then? Well, let's be honest. Yes, kind of, sort of. I know love. I know what was expressed to me by my parents. I know what I expressed to my siblings and they expressed to me in return. I understand the love of friendship. I, I, I later got married. I was already a believer, but I, I wasn't uh, going to a church that, that preached the gospel uh, in, in the way that we would understand it, uh, as Scripture teaches, you know, but I, I, kinda, I had a romantic love. I mean, and, and, not, and I'm, I'm not joking. So don't laugh at this, okay? You can laugh at me now, but don't laugh at what I say. I knew a few different expressions of romantic love. I had other girlfriends before Christine. If Sandy Siples is watching this, she was my first love. Right? I was in third grade. And we were on the swim team together. I dated. I dated. I, I thought I loved her. My two brothers actually were in relationship with her two sisters. So it was a really strange dynamic. I thought I knew what love was. I didn't know what this love was, the love of God. I, I didn't quite understand this. I have been told about it. 
I would go to church every Sunday and I would hear about the love. But it wasn't until I, I came into connection with how the love of God works with my sinfulness, it, it, that's where it made, it became, what, what was abstract became concrete for me. But lost people, non-Christians, those who are, are just touching, touching on the, on the, uh, on the, on the topic of God, they, they probably do not know this love. But the beautiful thing is, you know, we're always looking for segues to the gospel, right? We're always looking for ways to, to engage. I hope you are. You're talking with someone in the office. You're talking with someone in the family. You, you want a segue to the gospel? Bring up the topic of love and ask them, what does love mean to you? How do you know you're loved? What is love in its essence? And so as we look at uh, today's text. We're going to go through three aspects of God's love followed by a challenge that I've already hinted at. All right. So with three aspects of God's love, we're going to, first of all, we're going to look at the essence of God's love is found in God's nature. Secondly, we're going to look at the expression of God's love is seen in the person of Christ. And third, we're going to see the extent of God's love is seen in the crucifixion of Christ. So I'll just leave that up there for a minute. For those of you that call yourself a Christian, this is Duh, number one, two, and three. I know the essence of God's love. God is love. This is the text that teaches us that. We're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about this in essence. What does that mean? We're going to talk about the expression of, of God's love as seen in the person of Christ. We know that he's more than just our, our model, right? We're supposed to imitate Christ. He's our Savior. We're supposed to be, have faith in Christ and all that he's accomplished. And, and God sent his son. That's the idea there, the expression. But the extent of God's love is seen in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons I wanted you to see that statue. It's not a happy statue. There's a picture that Christine just threw, showed me the other day. And I, I may have referenced this last week, but I'm just thinking about it now. It is the heart piercing picture of me with my kids as I'm getting ready to deploy. I think I already shared this, but I'll just share it. I'm, I'm getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan, and I'm leaving that night, and, my, and Christine takes a picture of me sitting with my three kids, and we are all red-faced, blotched, you know, with, from sadness. Uh, it was heart-piercing, the sorrow that was there that night. As we talk about the extent of God's love as seen in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we can get all caught up in arms about the Roman Catholic practice of sewing Jesus hanging on the cross as the crucifix. I have no problem with you. I have a problem with it. But at the same time, why well, have a problem with it? That's what happened. But yes, he's not still there, right? He, he, was, he was brought down. That's what that statue shows. He was buried. And he rose again the third day. And that's why when we see a cross, whether it's in a window, and we see the cross is empty, we, we rejoice. That although the instrument of death is real, and the instrument of death was the means of, of the propitiation of our sins, of appeasing God, we can rejoice that Jesus Christ is not on that cross any longer. Early church was encouraged by it. Jesus used it as a form. He's saying, listen, pick up your cross and follow me. The extent of God's love is seen in the crucifixion of Christ, and yet sometimes we just kind of gloss right over it doesn't really have the impact it used to have. And that's why I'm asking for a spirit of humility. Remember your sin. 
because this is what it took to be forgiven. We needed to understand, we need to understand the love of Christ. So let's look at this essence of it. Uh, The essence of God, of God's love is found in God's nature. This is, again, it's pretty straightforward. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. It's the idea that love is, it, it, uh, love does not quantify God, right? Love is not the extent of who God is, but God is love. In other words, he is the source. He is the originator of love. He is, there is no love that does not come out of uh, an understanding of what God's love is. The world dumbs down love, and it says uh, erotic love. It says brotherly love. It says all kinds of love. It says this is love, and you're like, no, no, that's that's not the love of Christ. No, but they don't even understand what the love of God is. This is all that they get to play with, with, with mud when we're playing with and streets of gold, right? They don't understand. We have to explain this to them. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. It's part of who he is. It, it is who he is. It's, it's so hard to explain. It's the statue and I'm standing over here trying to understand it. I'm standing over here trying to understand it. All I know is this. The text says that love is of God. So it's the idea, love originates with him. Notice, we did not create the concept of love. We would not know what love was if God hadn't told us what love is. It originates with him. We didn't make it up. He put it on display. But as we look, we also see in, the, in, in verse 8, love is an attribute of God. So we, we're jumping here. We'll go back to verse 7 in a minute. He who does not love does not know God. So there's this idea. There's a specific kind of love that's in focus here. It is a self. Uh, let, me, let me back. I did this the same earlier. Let me back up a second. It is an other-centered, active love. We've talked about this. It's an other-centered. It is not a love that seeks to gain anything from it. Our world understands love is, you know, uh, why do you love me? I was, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I was like, is it fair for us to ask the question of our loved one, why do you love me? Oh, well, well you're, you're beautiful. You're handsome. Why do you love me? Well, you provide for me. Why do you love me? Well, you're a great mother. You're a great father. Why do you love me? Well, uh, you know, you're so kind. Are those satisfactory questions? Because it almost makes love conditional. It's almost like, well, I love you because of a reason. And God loves us because of who he is. God is love. There is nothing that God does does not have love as being expressed through it somehow. It is, it is uh, one author uh, phrased it as, all the activities that God is involved in are, are ways of him working out his nature of love, right? We talk about theology proper. It's the study of God the Father. We have Christology, the study of Jesus Christ. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. But when we talk about God the Father, listen, it's a mystery, folks. We just sang that song. It's a mystery. We know part, we know a little, a fraction, a minute little bit about God the Father. But he knows himself fully and he knows us fully and he is putting in his word that he is love. And so I encourage you this morning as you think about the way you love your spouse and you love your children and you love your neighbors, is it anchored in the love that 
that God has expressed to you. And if you're a Christian, it must be. It must be part of who you are. Because remember, as children of God, we reflect the character of God. This is one of those areas. We talked about life is sacred. And it's certainly sacred in the womb. But it's sacred outside the womb, and it's sacred all the way up until the grave. Because we are all created in the image of God. And I think our ability to love one another at any level is an expression of that uh, that likeness of God, that be, being created in His image. We have the ability to love, not because we, it's innate. It is because God has given it to us. He is part of Him being lived out in us. And He's saying, listen, those who do not love do not know God. Those who do not love the idea of loving God and loving others, if they're not characterized by that, and these are all the people who are destined for hell. They can love with a phileo love. They can love with... Um, uh, whatever the other aspects of love. I'm forgetting the other one right now, right? Uh, the brotherly love, the, the, the uh, eros, right? They can love with that kind of love, but they can't love with this, this other-centered love. They're always in it for themselves at some level, and they don't know it because this is a specific love. And he's saying those who do not love with God's love, they do not know God. It's impossible. But going back to verse 7, it is the idea that we are able to. Uh, so we see, the next part we're going to see is the practice of love, which is supposed to be transpiring in our gathering and every gathering of a healthy church. The practice of love is the evidence that we are a Christian community. Uh, we skipped over it in verse 7, but this is what it's saying. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Uh, John is making it uh, very clear. There's two aspects of this. Everyone who loves. The, the idea, we cannot divorce love from the gospel. Right? I'm going to say it later, Lord willing, but I'll say it now. God's love is intended to bring life. And for Christians, it's to bring life abundantly. But he's saying everyone who loves. This is talking about Christians. John's talking to Christians. He's saying Christians love each other. He said it before. He's going to say it multiple times still. But everyone who loves is born of God. That means if you're a Christian, love, this love is in you. And you know God. You're born of God and you know God. You are in, that, the idea of no is not just a cognitive no, it's a relational no. You are in right relationship with God. All those, and, and this is, as we consider this point, just going back to these words for a minute. Sorry, I should have put it on the next slide. The practice of love is the evidence that we are a Christian community. If, if the world does not see love transpiring, you know, transacting, you know, in our community, what are they going to think? Even they know we're supposed to be loving because they know a little bit about Jesus and they know a little bit about the Bible and they think they know everything about us. But folks, when we are not acting the way we're supposed to act, the world says something's not right there. And we ought to be saying something's not right there. The practice of love, the way we interact with one another. And, you know, listen, I'm not talking about the love that we have for one another because we get along and we like each other. I'm talking to the people over, over here who don't get along with the people over here or the people here that don't get along with the people who are online because they're irritating. Are Christians irritating? Well, it depends on who you're talking about, right? I know I'm irritating to people, but I don't necessarily always see it. This, is, this idea is we are to love with this God-like love, and it's supposed to be evidence that we are a Christian community. 
We are, God says, you know, we're to love our enemies. That's what God did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were, his, we were God's enemy. And yet God took that step. He initiated love. We are supposed to love in word and deed. John has told us that. But we're supposed to do it because it's anchored in the person of God. So everyone who loves is born of God. Everyone who loves knows God. And if you don't feel that that's true of you, if you're not a loving person, if you're, when I say that, I mean, if you're characterized, if your life is characterized by really looking out for number one, if your life is, has no evidence that other people are important, question your salvation. I don't mind people questioning their salvation as long as they come up with the right answer. And we're told here, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is not saying that the world as they love in their relationships, that that means they're saved. Well, they're, they're wonderful couples. They must be saved. No, that's not what it's saying. The rest of the text of Scripture screams very clearly that the love that we're talking about is anchored in the person and work of Christ. And that's really where we're going to go next. The expression of God's love is seen in the person of Christ. God gave us an object lesson. It's not a statue. It's a real person. He's a real person. And he really did bleed. And he really did die. And he really did resurrect. The expression of God's love is seen in the person of Christ. He says, in this, the love of God was manifested. Right? How is it manifest? Well, first of all, notice the direction of the manifestation. It's toward us. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us. God was thinking of us in his love. He wasn't thinking about himself. He doesn't need us. We need him. He chose us. And he is saying that his love is manifested. It's made clear. It's revealed toward us. That God, this is the way that he did that. God sent his only begotten son into the world. We know this. This is John 3.16. But this is not John 3.16. This is 1 John 4.9. It's the gospel. God sent his only begotten son into the world. It's the incarnation. But it's more than the incarnation. He goes on to say that we might live through him. So, so God loves, God is love, and the love was manifested by sending his only son. Don't skip over that. This is the unique child, the God-man. He sent him into the world that God so loves. For what purpose? That we might live through him. God's love is intended to bring life. It has brought every Christian in this room, genuine, born again, repentant sinner, received it by, in, the, in the arms of God by his grace and mercy. You have life through Christ. And you know that to be true. What about an unbeliever? They don't get this, and I'm, we're inviting you. If, if you're online or you're here, Receive the free gift that God has given to us. He has sent his son to bring you life. And life is only through him. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So we see, going back, the expression of God's love is seen in the person of Christ. There's no better expression, right? We know this. this is why we gather together. 
So we, we, we love this love. This love has changed our life. We have life through it. But as we go forward, we see the extent of God's love as seen in the crucifixion of Christ. God wasn't satisfied to just send His Son into the world. And there are those false religions out there, those false gospels that say that, well, yeah, Jesus came, but He didn't need to die. Well, that's not true. He willingly died as an expression of His love to the Father. Lord, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, Thy will be done. And His love for you and me, whoever comes to the Father, right, has the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. So the extent of God's love is seen in the crucifixion. It's ugly. It's horrible. He says, in this is love. This is that specific love that we're talking about. This other-centered, active love. And this is love. Not that we loved God, right? But that He loved us and sent His Son. The great initiator of love is God. This love, He loved us and sent His Son. It's kind of a parallel text to verse 9. Right? God sent His Son into the world, but He doesn't leave it there. He, this is the point of this text. He, loved, he sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. We've talked about this word. The word propitiation is the idea to appease. In the sense here, it's to appease the wrath of God that God rightfully and lovingly will, will, will pour out upon those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ because their sin is an affront to God. Their sin is an offense to God and it must be dealt with. And in His great love, He decided to not have us not have the option to have it taken, to pay for it ourselves. He sent His Son to be that propitiation. He is, he is the one who ransomed us. He's the one that paid the price. He is the one who has provided a way of escape from eternity in hell. This is God's plan. God initiated it. God enacted it. God followed through on it. And God's promises are sure. And if you have trusted in the promise of God that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity with God. You will not experience uh, hell. You will have life. Then you will have life because God is faithful to His Word. He says, this is love. God sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Imagine the extent of God's love. It went so far as to hang his child on a tree. Cursed is the one who's hung on a tree. Jesus Christ became a curse for us, but God sent his son to do it. Folks, listen, this is supposed to have practical implications for us. We are not supposed to just revel in, in the beauty of the love of God that has changed us, and we can just live our life in a way that is just wondrous and and. I'm good. You've heard me say that before. That is a complacent love. It's a misguided love. It's a false gospel love because as we think about verse 11, we're going to see that it's not a matter of just knowing the love of God. Do you know the love of God? Are you a Christian today? And have you remembered your sin? And have you remembered your salvation? Have you remembered, have you thought about the type of person you would be if you had not come to know the personal work of Jesus Christ? Have you thought about where you'd be and what you'd be doing? I don't ask you to dwell on it too much, but will you consider that from time to time? Because nothing uh, uh, brings the love of God alive in our life than to remember who we could have been apart from Christ. It's humbling. 
And thankfully, when we're humble and we repent, right, God forgives. And, and God has brought new life to all those who've come to faith. But do you know the love of God is the question. But then the, the practical application is, do you show the love of God? Do I show the love of God? Because we're looking at the expectation is that we love others with this same love. This love that initiated by God, lived out through the Son, right? All that we just talked about, everything we just talked about, it has to be lived out every day with every person. There is no person on this globe that you have the right to not love. I just, I need to park here just for a minute. Nobody. There's not one person who has irritated you, who has offended you, who has cut you off in traffic or cut, cut you to the quick, cut you to the heart. They may, they, they may have to, there is nobody you are allowed to not love. God did not say, love only those people who, get you, who irritate you up to this point. But after that, you're good. You're good. You're, just, just consign them to hell, Greg. I'm good. I'll take care of it from there. You don't need to worry about them anymore. No, I got gotcha. you. There's a limit to the love that you can have. There is a limit. But it's human love. It's, it's the basic instinct love. It's not God's love. There is no limit of love. There is no limit of the expression of love. Think of the most horrific person you can ever think of and know that God expects you to love that person. They don't expect you to condone their actions, their sin. No, that's not it. Have you ever heard of the, of the people who go to prison for, for uh, murder and they come to faith in Christ? Do you rejoice over that? Well, what if it was your loved one they murdered? God says you have to love them. Easy for me to say, I don't know that, right? I've never experienced that. I don't have to experience all aspects of the depth of God's love in order for it to be true. The expectation is that we love others with this same love that God has loved us with. So the next time you're, you're on the verge of, of just wanting to yell at somebody, ignore somebody, give them the hand, drive away, walk away, turn your back to them, whatever, whatever you do when you are not, not, not going to love somebody, whenever you're feeling that way, remember the cross. That's what, that's what John's telling us here. Remember the cross. Jesus Christ hung on that cross. For you. He forgave you, and you didn't deserve it. None of us deserved the forgiveness of God. God initiated that forgiveness by calling us to himself, and we are supposed to love others with that same love. He says, beloved, if God so loved us. It's not a question. It's, it's, it's this if. It's not a question. It's a question that says, if God loved us, it's a possibility. No, it's a, it's a foregone conclusion. John is saying, no, this really happened. He's saying, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Period, the end. Now, John's focus is very much on the community of Christ, without, without a doubt. Without a doubt, that's his focus. There was something going on in that church he was writing to, and he's saying, this, something's not right. 
But I, I don't think we need to limit the love of God. This is, not the, this is not exhausting the love of God as we live it out amongst our community. But certainly we ought to live it amongst our community. Because God loved us, we ought to love one another because as a community, we get it. Right? I, I want you to consider this quote. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves, then the greatest sin is not to do it. Think about that for a moment. If the greatest commandment is to love God, it is. With all our heart and to love our neighbor. That's, that's right. That's what Jesus said. Then the greatest sin is not to do it. Who are you not loving? And how would God have you repent? Remember, I asked you for a spirit of humility and a spirit of repentance. I'm asking myself the same thing. Who is it? And how would God have you make it right? Let's pray. Father, as we consider the reality of sin, as we consider the reality of your love, Lord, when they come in close proximity, it does inspire awe. And although we, we are comfortable that, that love is who you are, right? God is love. We, we, we get that, Father. We understand that to some degree. But, Father, living out this love, the consequences of having received this love, it's hard, Father. It's hard to live when people do wrong, when people believe differently than we do. And yet, Father, there's no out for us here. We are called to love. Father, I pray that you do your work in the heart of your people. And I mean this. This is something I say on a regular basis, but I, Lord, you're the only one that can do this work. Lord, for those hearts that are humble and for those hearts that are repentant, I pray that you'd bring those people to the forefront of their mind and heart of who they are not loving. I pray you'd break our hearts for those people. And love, and, and God, that you would provide a, a means, a, a way for us to understand how to live out your love in those relationships. Father, may we be willing to follow the direction of your Holy Spirit. Father, you seek for us to be a healthy church. And we are only as healthy as the most unhealthy relationship that exists. May we not be focused on others. Oh, they need this message. They need to repent. Oh, boy, they need... Father, may we be focused on ourselves. May we search our hearts. May you search our hearts. And would you expose to us our needs today? Father, for those who are not in right relationship with you, they have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. They have not come to understand the love that you have bestowed and manifested for them through the person and work of Jesus Christ. They do not understand yet how their sins are an offense to you, how their sins can be forgiven. 
and how they can be in right relationship. Father, I pray for those folks. Lord, if there is anyone here that has a desire to know you, Lord, would you open the doors for conversation? Would you do a work in their heart to seek out someone and say, how can I know the love of God? May you be glorified, Father, as sinners repent and come to faith in your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.